you know, now if you bring us a, a 10-month bill contract, we're probably saying 14 months loan term in a sense that we want cap interest to cover the fact it's probably actually 12 months, then titles, then sell down. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of your favourite property development podcast. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Pushing toward the end of another year. Can't believe it's December again. Generally around this time of year, I start to reflect on what's happened. I look back and I think I've had my fair share of challenges, along with quite a bit of success. And it's been a real roller coaster ride this year. I've been dealing with some issues with my builder on my current build, and that's been quite testing. And I know that lots of other people are experiencing similar challenges. So if you're also in that position, no, you're not alone. But the best way to tackle these things is proactively, which I mentioned in the upcoming chat with our guest. So stay tuned for that. I'm a firm believer in embracing your challenges and not being intimidated by them. While there have been challenges off-site, Progress continues at the site with internal fixings taking place in eight of the 14 townhouses. The plumbing rough-in has been done and the electrical rough-in is starting. External cladding work is also underway, which will be great when that's finished and the scaffolding can come down for the big reveal, which I always love. On the other six units, the framing is essentially done and the ground level brickwork is due to start. So there's lots going on. And the weather has started to improve ever so slightly in Melbourne with a little bit more sun and warmer weather. So fingers crossed for that to continue. On my other project, we just received an RFI response from Council from our planning application, mainly just some additional reports. So I'm trying to pull all that together and get it back in before the end of the year so we can keep the statutory clock ticking. I'm also in the process of selling a townhouse that I kept from my last project, so it's been fun getting the campaign up and running. I always enjoy the process of selling a property. I like the marketing and selling side of property development. It's where the rubber hits the road and you get to test out your product with the market. I'm hoping we can wrap up a deal before the end of the year. Okay, a couple of quick announcements before we get to our conversation about finance. There's only a short time left to take advantage of the Christmas book offer. So if you want a copy of my book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer, An Insider's Guide to Wealth Fulfillment and Glory, then head to www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash book and use the code Xmas. The clock is also ticking on the end of year special for the property developer training. So if you want to kick off next year with a focus on property development, and head to propertydevelopertraining.com and use the code Xmas for a sweet discount. And finally, check out the Property Developer Quiz to find out how ready you might be to become a property developer. Find it at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. All right, let's get into our guest for this episode, finance guru Dan Holden. It's been way too long since we've had Dan on the show to give us an update on what's happening in the funding markets. And boy, is there a lot to discuss. For those that don't know, Dan's finance business has been voted Australia's number one commercial broker for a number of years running. 
So he's always a great font of knowledge when it comes to property development finance. In this conversation, we will be covering what's happening in the lending markets, the outlook for the cash rate, challenges many developers are currently facing with build costs and delays, case studies, and the release of Dan's book called Constructive Finance. Keep an ear out for how you can win a free copy of Dan's excellent book, which covers all things Australian construction finance. I highly recommend a copy of it for your property resource library. This is another awesome discussion that I'm sure you will enjoy and it's chock full of gold. So let's get into it. Dan Holden from Holden Capital, welcome back once again to the Property Developer Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, normally I would ask a guest on my show what food they would eat until they were sick, but because I've already asked you that and you've been on multiple times, yes, I thought I would change that and ask you if there was ever a Hollywood blockbuster film made about your life, who would you like to see as the actor playing you? Ah, yeah, right. Interesting. Uh I don't know. Maybe Matt Damon. I like his uh, all the movies he's in. Good at good at action. Uh, yeah, he's he's probably uh, one one that comes to mind. Actually, there's a bit of a um, a resemblance between you and Matt Damon. I'd have to say. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen you Actually, with your shirt off though. So. <laughs> no, you got the dad bod in full swing. That's for sure. <laughs> Three young kids keeps me uh, keeps me busy. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you back on the show, Dan. For people who've been listening into the podcast for a few years, they would know that you are the guest who's been on the most. Uh, yeah. You always have great information to share about finance. You run your own um, capital firm, and you are usually really great at helping us uh, understand what's happening in the property markets. And going back and having a look, I realised you actually haven't been on since like April 2020, which seems unbelievable because so much has happened since then. So it's great to catch up with you because there's a lot to talk about. We're going to cover off what's happening in the finance markets, what's happening with the cash rate. We're going to talk about your book that you finally got published and we're actually going to give away some copies of that. So stay tuned for how you can get your hands on Dan's book, which is called Constructive Finance, all about construction finance. Really awesome book. I've read it. Uh, and then other things that you've been up to. So let's kick off and get a quick update from you about uh, what's been happening this year because it's been pretty crazy. We started off with low interest rates and we've finished off with escalating build costs. Increasing yep. cash rate and softening markets around Australia or in many markets. So it it's is. great to have a chat to you. So how have you been? Yeah, so I've been good. Um, and, yeah, interesting, I'd kind of prepared in my head to talk mainly about this year, but I guess I can go higher up in the helicopter and talk about post-COVID as well in terms of lenders, the availability of capital and, you know, how projects are being being funded. So. Obviously, post after COVID, there was a, a big wave of uh, not only confidence, but I think a lot of people bored, you know, locked in their house. You guys down in Melbourne for two years, people just wanted to get out there and do stuff and get active. And if you make your money out of property development, building things, trading property, you wanted to get very active very quickly. And we saw that 
Um, but also I think there was, you know, a very good de- demand side uh, equation as well because a lot of people were, if you were stuck in your house for uh, that period of time, you wanted to either upgrade or change or move or shift based on lifestyle. So we saw a lot of that happening as well. Um, and what we've seen, particularly up here in Brisbane, uh, it, it's talked about a lot, is just a massive undersupply of new new projects, dwellings coming on board. And so that's really underpinned a lot of confidence for developers uh, and us as lenders to, uh, you know, take on projects without pre-sales, pre-commitments, because we're seeing that the buyers are there when you finish, if it's a good product in a good location. And so we've we've gone through that massive wave of confidence. Um, some were overconfident, but on the general, it was just a lot of good confidence. And, and that's what you need for a property developer is that they're confident that they're going to do the right thing. And when they build it, it's, it's the buyers are going to come. So then what we also saw in the funding space, like you say, historical low interest rates, uh, we saw a massive wave of capital come into the space um, and it was almost a flood of new lenders popping up, capital everywhere, easy to get, which for me, having done this for 15 years and worked my ass really hard to find capital and then it's just being handed out willy-nilly, it was frustrating because I've done the, the hard roads to get the capital and the investors uh, to, to support uh, our fund and all of a sudden it's being thrown, thrown around in my opinion, truly nearly. Um, and so fast forward to November 22, we're now seeing some of those um, new lenders having some pretty uh, massive issues, structural issues in their fund, um, their funds. And we're seeing quite a few uh, with bad, bad projects, bad loans on their books. Um, and the only way they know how to get out is hit the eject button, appoint a receiver and um, bad luck for the borrower because they're, you know, stuck with that issue, whether they were rightly or wrongly needing that outcome. Uh, and we're also now seeing funding constraints in terms of um, other lenders struggling to raise capital. And, and that's for a couple of reasons. Either their, structural, their structure of their fund isn't uh, the best or, you know, most flexible structure. Um, but we're also seeing that with the rising um, RBA and and kind of commercial uh, rate, is that the way that some lenders raise their their money is from retail mums and dads who might have an overdraft. They might have a three million dollar house and a million dollar overdraft that they borrow at at the moment. As of November twenty two, is probably you know between four and a half and five and a half percent. You used to be able to get home loans at one point nine nine percent. And that's shifted up dramatically. And so if they're investing money into a, a retail or wholesale fund and they're only getting seven and the home loan costs them late fives, they're only earning a 1% margin on investing their hard-earned money at risk with a property developer <laughs> who's taking a lot of risk. And so take tax out of that 1%, they're only earning a very small margin. So they're actually not and we're seeing this uh, with some other lenders is that they're they're actually having redemptions rather than new money coming in to fund uh, their their loan book. We've also got some other lenders who have got an issue where they um, might be ASX listed and they raise their money via new units in that and their uh, net tangible asset value and their share price are out of flux. And so they're trying to raise money when they're um, below NTA and so they actually can't raise money. Um, and then we're seeing other other um, 
lenders who might raise, and a few do this, raise money in 100 mil chunks. And so you've got to quickly rush and get it out the door so it's earning money because you're paying on that 100 mil when you borrow it wholesale or getting it from an wholesale. And then the moment you get a couple of bad deals in that, that investor turns their tap off and you can no longer draw down the next 100 mil to fund some good ones because you've got a couple of bad ones. And so... I know that's a lot to digest. I probably should have explained it longer, but they're the variety of issues that lenders are facing at the at the minute as to why we're now gone from uh, an abundance of capital, um, competitive rates, to now it being, and it's definitely not last man standing, that's the wrong word, but it's kind of like um, so many of the recent entrants and even one of the longer-term players just doesn't have money to fund any loan, let alone a good one. So we're now seeing a, a real um, uh, tumultuous, turbulent kind of market just in the last month. Um, and so it's it's an interesting space. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, um, funny funny times, but the good thing is that good projects will find money um, and uh, it's all about project fundamentals, pitching the deal right to the lender um, and, you know, having a, a good lead-up time and a good strategy as to how you're going to fund the project. So there is positive in it. Um, it it's just a, a from the start of the year, if you told me we'd finish like this, it was just so competitive, so uh, interest rate driven, so tight to now be at, at total opposite of that, that where we started. So a very funny year, 2022. Yeah, it has been really odd. And my own experience mirrors that in terms of how things have changed through the year. We've um, started off everything sort of plain sailing. The mar- property market was pretty strong. Well, usually I refer to Melbourne when I'm talking about that, but generally speaking, the market was strong. Projects were starting, um, but then build costs kept escalating uh, and have continued to keep doing that. And you've got shortages of trades. Prices have started to soften, so you're getting this real compression of margins uh, and even beyond that sort of moving into a uh, you know, close to a loss, loss position. A lot of builders not being able to absorb these increases and looking to pass them on to their customers, whether that's developers or uh, people who are building homes. So it's just a really strange time. A lot of those builders are just falling over. So it's just such a strange time now and it's getting more challenging to get a project out of the ground. I think it's getting more challenging to get them funded. So it'll be interesting to see what next year brings. But what are you seeing in terms of projects? Yeah, so we've had, um, I guess, to to recap on that building issue, we've had a lot of uh, projects um, suffer that as well. Cost escalation. Probably the biggest one that I've seen, I'd say 90% of the projects we funded this year, is um, time. So you allow a 10- or 12-month build, month for titles and a month for settlement of maybe two months. That's blowing out to 15, 18 months in a heartbeat. And so we've had to do a lot of, um, and that's also what has, has created a lot of shortage of capital in the tail end of this year, is a lot of monies that you thought you were going to get back from projects that you funded 12 months ago, that money's not being paid back and you're therefore writing more checks than you're getting back. Um, and so depending on the size of your loan book, 
that can be a constraint as well, which means that you could, you could want to fund the new project, but you haven't got the capital to actually fund it because it didn't come back from the last project. So we've, we've yeah, probably, I reckon 30% of our workload this year was actually resetting, extending, um, you know, get a new vowel and recapitalise to cover the interest and the, you know, keep the loan in check so that you don't have a loan in default. You don't have, um, you know, a loan that's capitalising at the higher rate, uh, all these kind of issues that come up because of that time constraint um, that has has really been a factor that I don't think, yes, the bill price goes up, but that's normally on a five mil bill that's normally 200, 300 grand. But you have, you know, four mil of debt sitting there at, uh, potentially some lenders at the default rate, that's costing you 20, 30 grand a month, if not more. And that's chewing into the profit. That's a cost that the borrower has to come up with on the spot um, or a flexible lender that actually will let you capitalise and will let work with you to get a solution there. So that's probably one thing we um, didn't see or, or that in the wider market you might not think of, but that's also been a constraint as well. And so I think there, there was one quarter there that we wrote 42 million and we only got paid back like 16. So from that, you know, you es- and you escalate that over a longer period of time, it's you, you've got to find that money and get it out and make it happen. So, yeah, that, that's another one I uh, will add that's been a funny one of 2022. Um, we've had a few builders go broke on projects. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it happens. Um, the builder gets to the point where they can no longer see the, the sky at the end and they pull the pin. So having to remobilise a new builder, um, work with the developer to get that done in an efficient time, dealing with the costs flow out of mobilising a new builder, who pays for all that. That's what comes back to good lending fundamentals and having a, a borrower, uh, not necessarily that's been there and done that and had a builder go broke on them, but has the resources and the capacity to fix things that go wrong quickly. Um, and so that's definitely back to borrower, uh, not not just strength financially, but um, their ability and their willingness to fix things that go wrong. Um, so yeah, building the the cost side of things in terms of construction, it's not not as um, cost going up five or ten percent, and in some cases twenty. You also at the same time over the last 12, 18 months had rising uh, GRs as well. So a lot of projects that were uh, suffering cost blowouts and they hadn't pre-sold the product, they were benefiting from, if not 10, 20, 30, sometimes 40% we've seen on a, a case study that I'll share with you, uh, increase in GR that they were getting the benefit of. So the, the rising GR washed away the sins of the rising costs and so therefore it offset that and an extra couple of months' interest might have cost you 30, 40, 50 grand, but you're getting another 150, 200 grand per product so again, that washed away the sins of everything taking longer and the cost going up. So that was that was good. But as you said in the intro, we're now seeing. Um, I don't think costs are necessarily going up much further. What I've seen in the last month, or for things that we're now getting ready to settle in February, construction wise, we've seen it calm a little bit. Um, but one thing that is, uh, like you were talking about, the the GRs or the demand is is kind of subsiding a little bit. Um, uh, and definitely, you know, getting things to stack and, and make the feasibilities work uh, is a constri- is a challenge as well. We've seen a lot in the last, I'd say, six to eight weeks where the PRSV, project-related site value, is dramatically less than the market value. And so to explain that uh, in, in real terms, if you bought a site for 2 mil, 
the valuer will say market value is two mil because we think you could sell this as two side by side 600 meter blocks with house on it you know 40 year old house on it um they're worth a mil each but the project related site value when you take off the end value of seven less the bill price of three and the margin add in the holding costs the interest costs everything the PRSV project related site value is now 1.3 to 1.5. So we're seeing that a lot. We, it, previously, when the market was rising, people would try and ask us to lend on the PRSV because it was higher than the sale price or the contract price. And, and obviously that's a trick for new players. But um, now you're seeing the PRSV below because your GR less your costs and less your margin equals less than what the market value is. So that, that's catching a few people unawares at the moment, just in the last two months. And that's due to cost blowouts, people allowing more time on projects. You know, now if you bring us a, a 10-month build contract, we're probably saying 14 months loan term in a sense that we want cap interest to cover the fact it's probably actually 12 months, then titles, then sell down. Um, and, and I guess also when you add a soffit uh, uh, market, you're also then taking 60 days to sell um, through the product in a sense of putting it on the market, open homes, you know, creating tension, not putting too many of the product on at once to compete with each other and then selling through and repaying the construction loan. So we're now looking at a lot more cap interest um, in the loan facility uh, to allow enough time to actually get it to finish. Um, so yeah, there's a there's an overlay of new constraints or challenges that have come up in the last just in the last three months. Uh, as I said, if you said we were going to be here in the start of this year, I'd yeah, knock me off my chair. It's crazy. Yes, well, I can say to the listeners out there that uh, I am going through all of that stuff at the moment with blowouts in bill times. Escalation in costs, the builder having issues. It's, yeah, it's been a wild, probably in the last six months has uh, been pretty crazy. But the one thing that I have learned during that, Dan, is just how important it is to have that really good team around you and the people that you partner with because you don't know how much you need people until things start kind of wobbling or heading off track yeah when everything's going well it's not a big issue but when you start having challenges that's when you need the good people in your corner helping you and working with you to try and resolve some of these issues absolutely yeah and someone who's going to be understanding of that it's probably not your fault (laughs) that, that you've been you know these these issues have been lobbed on your desk by a builder by somebody else and you know as a developer it's kind of your job to you know, be the master puppeteer and keep it all moving. Um, uh, but having a lender who understands that um, uh, and and is willing to work with you, extend the facility, give you a little top up piece to pay those extra cost overruns. Um, understanding that you know you'll you'll need to take longer on on market than previously expected. All those things that are popping up are um, you know something that you want someone on your side uh, as opposed to someone who just says uh, pays back your loans due. So what's your advice for someone who might be in that situation? Um, I guess someone who's in that situation is, you know, look around. If, you, if you're if you with a lender and you're not getting the kind of support that you need, is have a look around. Um, we're doing quite a few mid-construction refinances at the moment, uh, taking over an existing facility. Uh, there's not many lenders that will do it. 
a lot of lenders have a view once the slab's down, they won't touch it until it's titled, finished and re proper residual stock. Uh, we've done two in the recent months that have had only, uh, say, two progress claims to go. And so because we had enough, so it looks like it's a completed project, but they've still got, you know, fin you know, 90% of the build has been paid for and we're coming in and finishing it um, because the loan term's finished and the current lender says, great, now you're on default rates. Tough cookies, that's your problem, not ours. Uh, so we've actually come in and taken over. Um, we just settled one yesterday for six and a half mil that was actually 70% built. They had an approval issued from a competitor lender. They'd been sitting there for 14 weeks. It didn't, it's not a big, um, it's a big size project, but it's uh, industrial. And so they could go up really quick. Meccano sets, right? Tilt slab walls and everything. So they're 70% uh, finished. And the lender that had approved them at the start hadn't got their act together and actually finished it. We settled that loan from start to finish in four business days and settled yesterday. And so, yeah, imagine being in that position where they're just ploughing cash in, putting in more cash and more cash. Uh, they ended up, you know, almost cash funding the whole project. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely I'd be uh, interviewing lenders more, uh, asking them for a couple of case studies of, you know, situations where they're able to come in and help uh, a developer who was stuck in a bit of a situation. Um, and you know, make, ask ask for some um, uh, to re referral or refer references of their current customers who are borrowing money and developers that they can reach out to and, and talk to. I think uh, compared to the start of the year, like I was saying, where it was so price-driven uh, in terms of lending, um, I'd, I'd say it, it to assimilate it to like a builder. Just because the builder is their cheapest price, you're probably more interested, even if they're, a little bit more expensive in their track record. You know, give me some references of people that have used you before and still like you. Um, you know, uh, give me some examples of of how you helped someone when they're in a bit of a pickle. Those things are, um, you know, I, I think now more important than when everything's going well, GRs are going up, um, you know, everything's going gangbusters. It, it's, it's easy. At the moment, there's a little bit of a headwind and a few challenges. You definitely want... Um, more of a relationship lender who's a specialist lender than you do, um, you know, someone who's just, uh, I guess, a little bit black and white and, and, and lending money, writing checks. Yeah, my advice to people who are in that situation is to be proactive. Don't just sit back and let things unfold and get on the front foot and start strategizing about what might happen or looking at worst case scenarios and trying to prepare for that but seeing if there's things that you can do to avoid that from happening and i think you know ha having that discussion even when you don't have a live project um you know set up a meeting a zoom meeting with the, the lender and ask all those questions that that you need to get comfort with them um uh, i was in melbourne last week um and i actually did a site visit of previous projects of a guy that doesn't need our funding until may next year but I was very happy with that because he wanted to show me those projects because he was proud of them. He wanted to show me the site that he's just put on the contract and um, so we'll be settling the site line, I think, in February or March and then kicking off construction in May, June. Um, and he's been, you know, uh, he's read my book, he's had two Zoom meetings with me and then we went and met on site and, and walked around a couple of different projects for something that he doesn't need for months in advance. I like that because he wants to eyeball me and, and ask me questions about it, our, our business and how we operate. 
So don't be scared of that. It's not just, hey, I need four mil next Friday. It's have that, have those discussions up front so that you get to know them and understand how they operate. That'll that'll give you better comfort and clarity on what you need to do when and the lead up to a loan and, and all the things you've got to get organised um, and just how their general process works. So give us your crystal ball thoughts on the cash rate and where we're headed, where it might settle. Yeah, so, well, the, the futures market, so we're at 2.85, 2.8 at the moment. The futures market's definitely saying that it's going to go up at least half to 1% in the next uh, 9 to 12 months, um, which is painful. The futures market isn't always right. Um, a few economists, the Westpac economist, um, the um, Chattakek uh, economist, uh, both of those agree that there's two two more at 25-point raises. Um, so, you know, March and May next year, I think they were saying. Uh, and then it'll cut, start to calm down. And it, and quite a few people saying it'll taper off. Uh, not a lot, but, you know, th- they've kind of overshot a little bit and that we'll see people spending less, um, the cost of goods going down. And if you look at building materials, um, we're starting to see that already, uh, anecdotally I've heard. Um, I haven't seen it in anything kind of quoted November that was quoted May that it, it's actually gone backwards, but uh, I'm hearing from builders and, and people that we're talking to, the material costs are coming down. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that it does kind of calm off a little bit um, uh, and, and that we're through the worst of it. And I think the hardest thing for us as a lender and as a, uh, our brokerage arm as well was to actually not have the borrower feel like we're putting it up just because we can. It, it is, a, a, I guess, a genuine thing that we've got to raise the money from somewhere, whether it's a institutional, um, you know, a hedge fund investor, big institutional investor, uh, right down to some lenders use mum and dads, like I was explaining um, in the opening piece. And because everyone's expecting high return on their money, I mean, the risk-free rate of money at the moment is kind of like, I think three and a half percent. You can put money in a six-month term deposit and get three and a half percent. So, why are they going to invest with a mortgage fund that is taking risk? Um, uh, you know, that most of them want you know a, a reasonable rate of return for the risk that they're taking. Um, you know, it, it's a different thing when you invest money with a big four bank and they spread their money across a whole range of sectors, and a very small slice of the banks risk portfolio is to lend money to property developers and they only really, you know, lend money to property developers who have a clear exit, you know, a well-defined strategy because they're not really in the game of taking risk. They're, you know, they're doing it as a business bank to help your business do what it's doing Um, as opposed, and, you know, if you're, imagine you're a retiree sitting there and you've lent your money to, or you've put your money in the bank and they're going lending it to a Ferrari driving property developer who's building this crazy IRIs with no pre-sales and, you know, not a fixed price contract. That's You put that in perspective, you understand why the banks are, have got the highest hurdles to jump over to get, get the funding, as opposed to a specialist lender like us who's, we were lending money at 695 a year ago. It's now probably 895 because of the, the, the way the market's gone up. Um, people, people investing with us know that we're lending to a property developer who's doing this project because they see that before they invest. It's not a, a blind uh, bear trust that we make the decision for them. The investor invests in the project that we put up and they go, I like that project. Here's half a million bucks or a million bucks. 
and they know that risk is there and that's why they're getting uh, as at today. I think we, the one we said yesterday was 8.65 per annum. Uh, I think anything we're quoting for February we're at eight, uh, February next year onwards is 8.95 per annum. The investor knows they're getting that return because of the risk that it's exposed to. Um, lending to, you know, property developers, there's a risk attached with it. So I think it's wanting to convey that message to the borrower, the property developer, to say we're not raising the raising the rates for raising the rates for the fun of it. It's genuine market. And when you see all the other lenders rising in unison, it's it's then, you know, people accept it better. And I think the hard part was for us was um, you know, not doing it too quick and um also not doing it too late that the investors uh, lose interest in putting their money into the projects. So, um, yeah, it, it is a balancing act. And I think, thankfully, now that the RBA hopefully has calmed down a bit and the interest rates can can calm there, I'd like to think that 895 is our top top rate um, uh, in a sense of, you know, I don't think we're going to go to 10% per annum. So hopefully if the RBA does calm down, we can stay at 895 and continually fund good projects. Yeah, I'm one of those people who's of the view that they're, looking to create a bit of headroom with the rates so that if they need to cut to stimulate, they've got some space to work with. Yep, I like that. <laughs> I hope that's right. <laughs> but there's a bit of pain that's involved along the way to create that space. Yeah, yep, I think so. Um, and so I'll also just touch on uh, when I say we're 895, that we've got a, um, uh, and this has only happened in the last kind of week or two, We've now got uh, at call, we can invest the money at um, about 3%. So unused monies we can actually offset, and that has a, a pretty decent effect to the, the cost of funding. Um, so the equivalent rate is probably uh, lower than 8 when you actually cash flow it out in, in a sense of the interest earned on the offset um, and and the, um, uh, the actual cost of funds to the project. Um, and, yeah, more than happy to if anyone's got a project they want to understand how that modelling works. Send us a feasibility, basic feasible, GR, land, build, um, give us the data too, and we'll come back with a desktop that explains the funding, you know, the equity column from the uh, developer, our debt column, uh, a, a timeline of the cash flow of interest costs, we'll explain all of that. We can turn those around in a data too, and that way you can understand exactly how it works. And we can show you the comparison of uh, drawn rate versus fully drawn rate versus line fee, explain the offset takes us yeah not much time to actually put that together for you and you can understand how it all works out and, and the benefits as well um, of, of the funding structures available. Yeah, so I think you were saying that that relates to any undrawn funds that you may have in your facility that can then be reused by you somewhere else um, but and the cost of using that money somewhere else uh, gets well, refunded, I suppose, Um to the developer or the person with the facility so it lowers their overall cost. Yeah, exactly. And I guess another um, feature of, I guess, our fund, uh, obviously I'm biased, but <laughs> we actually raise the money up front and it sits there in the lawyer's trust account, so Gaydon's, Mullins, HWL, with your name on it uh, allocated to your project. And so some lenders uh, at the moment are having uh, constraints raising capital and so your eighth, ninth, tenth progress claim, they don't yet have the money for. And so that's now becoming uh, an issue. So our fund is, uh, so that 6.4 million we settled yesterday, 
uh, all of that money sitting there in the trust account yesterday at settlement, ready for them to draw down on. Um, and so that confidence in the money sitting there with your name on it, uh, earlier in the year you'd say, I don't care, I can get it 20 points cheaper from the other bloke. Now you're going, that's actually a massive feature. I love that. I, I, I want to know that. Uh, I can push ahead with confidence. And if the builder gets ahead of time, which obviously hasn't happened for a while, that the money's there to pay his claim if it comes in bigger than expected or anything like that. Um, so there, there's a few uh, features and benefits, I guess, that you want to talk through with a lender in the sense of how they find their capital. Um, you know, are, are they partially raising? Um, you know, are they reliant on their whole pool? So we've got one lender. Um, who I won't name, obviously, who has actually got a capital call in a sense that their liquidity is now below uh, what um, uh, APRA, uh, um, ASIC, will allow them to have. So they've meant to have a certain amount of cash on standby in a pooled fund structure. They've gone way below that and they've, they're in all sorts. So, um, yeah, that's why I was saying that loan that we settled yesterday in, I think, four days start to finish, they'd been with another lender for 14 weeks. Uh, and, and, you know, because of their internal issues, their project almost suffered. Um, so there's a lot of things to run through that you, you really want to be, as I say, don't be afraid of interviewing a lender um, earlier than you need the money, asking these kind of questions, getting comfortable with them um, so that when you are ready, you've kind of chosen who you kind of want to go with. God, I can't imagine what it's like to be in a scenario where the lender isn't un, is unable to pay the drawdown claim because they've got no money for your for your facility. Yep, I've been doing this fifteen years. I've seen it before. Um, uh, Christmas Eve is a, is a terrible one. We had a project that couldn't couldn't get paid because the the lender raised their money per claim. So on the twenty third of December, they sent out a claim a request to investors for I can't remember the number six hundred and eighty grand. They only got about two hundred and fifty, so they couldn't pay it. So Christmas Eve, the builder, it was an owner builder, calling me saying I was the broker in this situation, saying, what do you mean they can't pay it? That's crazy. Um, so it's, you know, being being uh, asking those hard questions of the lender up front so that you understand their process, both the process to get a deal from inquiry, term sheet, approved settlement. You want to understand that process. You also want to understand their process uh, to pay all the claims, get how long they take to turn around, um, and, you know, what do they do over the Christmas period? So you'll see uh, if you've got an email from any of the QSs in the last couple of days, it all says final claim uh, for drawdowns and there's a date. Um, that If you don't get your claim into the QS by this date, they're, they're not going to open that file until 16th of January. Um, so, you know, even as a borrower, being aware of all those little things so that you're ahead of the, ahead of the game and not hit with too many surprises. Yes, yeah, always fun at the end of the year, and then that Christmas end of year, Christmas uh, start of January break can be a bit weird. How everything shuts down, but anyway, it is what it is. Um, I think you had mentioned to me that you had a couple of um, case studies that you thought might be worthwhile I running did. through. I did, and I guess the reason I wanted to run through them was it's often a question that people say, "Well, why would I pay?" you know, 8% from you guys when I can get it from the bank for 5%. And it's a very valid question. Um, I guess the counter to that is to explain the benefits uh, to somebody so that they can understand. And so one is that you can borrow more. So if a bank will lend you, if it's a 10 mil TDC project, for ease, the bank will lend you 7 to 7.5 million. 
and you've got to put in two and a half to three million. Uh, us as a specialist construction lender, we'll lend you eight to eight point two million. So you're putting in less capital, um, which means that you can free up capital to get your next project progressed and shovel ready. Uh, so there's one gearing. Um, uh, we also can do stretch senior. So we can actually go to 90% of cost or kind of 72, 73 LVR. So if our interest rate on was, say, 8% on the 65 LVR, um, it might go to, say, 8.9 or 9% on a 72, 73 LVR. So all of a sudden you're putting in one mil on a 10 mil TDC project. You're turning on a 12.5 million GR project with a million bucks. So... Yes, you're paying now nearly 9%, but you're also putting in a third of the capital that you needed to with the bank. So I guess that's point number one is gearing. Um, point number two would be the flexibility around exit. Um, and some lend uh, borrowers, developers in the early phase will cap qualify to be a bank customer because they're doing a duplex. The lend is three, four million and they've got income to service that money on completion, so the bank might not need pre-sales. Um, and the bank, in that case, is really looking at your income. You might not have ever done a project before, and you wonder why the bank will fund you with not having done a project before, but we won't, uh, or might not. We have done in the past and, and may do, but uh, generally speaking, we'll want them to have done a project or have been exposed to the process of a project in some capacity, whereas the bank says, we don't mind because you've got income, you can service that debt. So if you build this thing and it doesn't sell and it doesn't rent, that income is going to service your debt. So entry-level developers that can qualify for that because they've got a job, that's great. The next step up is into uh, commercial lending arena. Um, and then the bank will say, we're not really, we're interested in your income, but we want to know that you're going to extinguish the debt when the project's finished. We want pre-sales. And again, there's in the smaller areas, you can get 50% debt cover because they'll also count your income. But that's in the smaller category of lending. Uh, when you get probably above, I'd say, five to seven mil, uh, above that debt loan size, uh, and you're in the commercial space, you're then needing with the bank at 100% debt cover, if not more, to show the bank you can pay them back when the project finishes. Um, whereas with a commercial lender, uh, we'll take a view that during construction or close to completion of construction, you put them on the market, you'll get some inquiries, you'll get some sales. And if it doesn't go to plan on completion, we'll kick over to a residual stock loan and give you another six months time to sell the product for the price that you want. So we kind of have multiple exit strategies. One, you could, um, and we've done a couple of these in the last 12 months, where the exit strategy is actually just to rent them out, wait till it's got a tenant in there then take it to a bank as a income-producing asset. And so our exit is actually bank refinance. Uh, and that's a valid exit, whereas a bank will go, we don't want to lend on an empty uh, asset. We either want sales. And to say that you'll go and find a residential tenant is not enough of an exit for them. Um, if you've got income and a couple of pre-sales, that might, but it's probably a little bit of lip service in reality. Um, whereas a lender will come to us, and similarly, I guess, with these build to rents and those kind of things, we're just viewing it as a no pre-sales project. On completion, the fact that they're going to get an income stream from it, revalue it and take it to a bank, that's great. So we can have those as exit strategies as well. 
Um, but we're not looking at their PAYG income to service the debt that we're lending them. So it's around, I guess, the um, yeah serviceability, pre-sales, exit as well as the flexibility. So point two, point one, the amount of capital you're putting in, the gearing. Point two uh, is the way that we assess the deal about how much we'll lend you and it's not around servicing, it's not attached to you as much, it's more about the project itself. Um, and I guess uh, a third point is around the flexibility. So um, we've done quite a few mid-construction top-ups uh, this year. So it might be a 5 mil construction loan and we do a 500 grand top-up. The top-up might be 200 to the builder and 200 for interest cap and 100 grand extra firepower for marketing. And we can do those on the run mid-construction. They take less than a week for us. Sometimes we've done them in two days. So that we, you know, that flexibility is is definitely what you needed this year. Um, and so I guess as well, when you're with a specialist construction lender, they'll give that flexibility because they want to see the project finished. We don't get paid until things finish. So, you know, you fighting with a builder over that 200 grand and him being off site for six weeks, that doesn't help us and it doesn't help the developer and it doesn't help the project. So for us, we'd prefer to find that money and give it to you so that you can pay the builder, keep them happy, getting building stuff. So those kind of things as well are the, um, I guess, the flexibilities that a specialist lender can actually uh, or hopefully give give you as a developer to help you solve problems. Yeah, and one thing I would add to that, Dan, is speed. You're generally going to be a lot quicker than if you're dealing with a bank that's then got to take whoever you're dealing with. If you can get in touch with them, then they got to take it to the risk committee or whichever committee the whole filter it's got to go through the bureaucracy as you have already mentioned that can take weeks if not months to get something approved absolutely so we try and issue term sheets within kind of one to one and a half business days um in a sense of if you give us the usual project info we can give a credit endorsed term sheet basically within a day um and then you look at that 6.4 mil loan we settled yesterday um uh, I think the inquiry was Thursday morning. We settled it Wednesday, um, uh, 2 p.m. So you look at that and go, you know, that's definitely the, um, you know, the speed that you need when that guy's in a bind because he'd been let down by somebody else to to come in and, and fix that. Can't do that all the time. Don't want to overpromise anything, but <laughs> when it, when when it's needed, uh, I guess we've got the um, the firepower to, to do those kind of things. So. To talk through uh, two case studies that I wanted to um, highlight, one of them was a project we did here in uh, Brisbane. It was a side-by-side house construction. Um, They'd been in the queue with another lender for uh, seven weeks. They'd settled the site and um, signed the bill contracts for both houses. The lender, who's not quite a bank but not quite a private lender like us, um, then said, yep, we're about to issue the docs. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, They then came back and said, actually, uh, we'll only fund the second house when you've got a buyer lined up for the first house. They've already signed both build contracts. They're already on site. They were panicking. Um, And we came in with a funding solution that was the same cost as the other lender. uh, And we settled that within, I think, four business days from start to finish, both at once. Uh, without the need for a pre-sale, without the need for servicing from their income. Uh, the, the, that's now a finished project and the developers sold both of them. The pre-construction valuation was 1.85 mil per house. Uh, they 
finished it, staged it, went to auction, sold the first one for 2.2, the second one for 2.25. So they got 400 grand more for one and 450 grand more for the second one because they didn't pre-sell it. And that, obviously that's market. It's not because we bought them or inflated them or made them good houses, but we gave the flexibility for the developer to build them and sell them only when it is finished, staged, looking pretty. The buyer can walk in, get all emotional. Oh, my God, I need it. I have to pay whatever for it. I need it today. Uh, and so that was, you know, the flexibility, I guess, that we gave, the speed and turnaround. Uh, we met on site and issued approval um, uh, same day, if not first thing the next morning. And we settled the whole thing in four business days. And so seeing that, those kind of um, case studies, I guess, firsthand, we see the benefit that the developer gets from uh, funding with a specialist lender like us, um, as opposed to trying to jump the hoops that they can't meet with another lender. And we were the same cost. Um, so we've gone on to do, I think, 14 loans with that developer uh, in the last 18 months um, because they've seen the benefit of the quick turnaround, the flexibility, you know, the ability to redraw, use reverse equity, those kinds of things. Um, so that was one case study, I guess, a bit of a um, uh, an eye-opener to people who are looking at it going, why would I pay more? It's because of those flexibilities that developer end up getting 850 grand more profit than the pre-construction valuation on one project. Pretty good. Um, the other one I've kind of touched on was the industrial one that we settled yesterday. I've already kind of used it as a bit of an example in terms of quick turnaround. Um, another one that we've, uh, another example that we've actually done a few times this year already is to help someone settle a development site that they've contracted, but they haven't quite finished the current project because of, you know, cost escalations, time delays, all those kinds of things. But they bought it thinking that they were going to be finished this and they'd, they'd have their capital and their profit from this one to roll into the next one. And we're seeing that a lot because of the time delays. And so what we've, we've done there is actually lent typical 65 or 70% LVR on the site as a first mortgage at 8%. And then we've gone and done a, we call it reverse equity, but um, it's essentially uh, a MES. It can be secured or unsecured on the existing project. So let's say it's a three mil site purchase and we do roughly two mil as a first mortgage. We then do one mil on the current project, the projects that are currently underway. And so we can do that either secured as a second registered mortgage, that might be 18% per annum, or we might do it unsecured. So you might have that with an, a bank and the bank doesn't want us as second mortgage behind them. So we do it as an unregistered second and that might be in the early 20s as a cost of funds. But essentially we're giving you 3 million bucks, but we're securing two against the site and then one against the existing project so that we can settle the whole three mil for you. So that's an, another example about when you've got overlapping projects and things aren't going quite time-wise to plan, uh, a specialist lender like us can actually come in and assist with those types of predicaments that you're in. Very good. It's always uh, good to hear how these things are actually playing out in the real world, <laughs> these kind of projects and how they're getting funded and how their problems are being solved. Um, what about your book? Yes. So it took um, book. quite a few years to write. Uh, and I probably wrote, you know, the majority of it within the first year. Um, and then I kind of, I guess, put it down a, a bit. <laughs> and then uh, when COVID hit, it was kind of like, you know, 
no one really felt like doing a project because no one really knew what was happening. Um, and then as we kind of came out the other side of COVID and the confidence built and the, um, I guess the property developer market really started to take off again, uh, I put the finishing touches on it and had it uh, three editors, different editors work on it, finally got it finished and finally got it out. So it, it's very much, I guess, a things I've seen in my 15 years of funding projects. Prior to that, I was a development manager for five years, actually delivering projects myself. Um, and it's, uh, I guess, a, a view into a bunch of different ways you can structure a heap of different ways you can use equity, other people's equity, um, and, you know, a, a lot in it about timeline delivering. Um, you know, it, it definitely covers a whole array of things about how to, you know, use money smartly and get projects funded with confidence and, and you know, as, as best and efficient as you can. Yes, and I actually have to thank you for giving me the impetus to finish off my own book. Yes, well, uh, tell us about your book, Ed. Oh, uh, well. What, what, what drove you to, to write it? Uh, similar reasons, just used to, uh, well, I still do get lots of emails from people talking about why they want to be or that they want to become a property developer. And I realized there's not really any books out there or much resources out there for people who are thinking about getting into property development. So what are the, some of the considerations that you need to talk about or think about before you're jumping in? Because there's a lot of people just have a fantasy about property developing. They think it's going to be all fun and games and it's easy, um, but it's got challenges. So my thinking is you go in with your eyes open. So I share some of my stories around some of the projects and yep. I've already got enough content to write another book, I think, since that got published. <laughs> so, yep. But uh, when you rang me and told me that you'd finished your book and it was being published, I was like... My book was about 80% done and I thought, oh, I've got to do yeah. this final push now. Dan's got his book out. I really need to yeah. put that final uh, effort in to yes. get my own book finished. So yes, uh, thanks for sending uh, me your advance copy. It's called Constructive yes. Finance and it goes through all the different elements of construction finance, which is obviously a critical component of any project. And I know it's a topic that, any developer is always interested in learning about or knowing what's happening. So it's a really fantastic book and I highly recommend it. It's actually part of my recommended readings from my own training course. I've included it in there for people to, to read because I think it's really valuable. Great. And uh, one thing I've enjoyed, I guess, um, so we've now sold over 1,500 copies uh, and I think it's been about a year since we launched it. Yeah, it was. We launched it just before Christmas because I thought, oh, people can read it over their summer break. Uh, so, yeah, we're 1,500 copies sold in, in the first year. Amazon bestseller for about, I think, two and a half or three weeks. Um, and one of the things I have enjoyed is people that have read it and, and you know, shot me a note and said, uh, thanks, this, you know, I guess there's another lens that I can look at things with uh, about how I approach uh, not just debt but structuring projects and, um, you know, uh, particularly multiple stages or with a developer that's got multiple projects on at a time, how to make sure that they're cascading uh, smoothly and, and without kind of hiccups. And, um, you know, it does cover a wide variety of things. Um, I've been involved in a number of joint ventures between landowners and developers, 
developers and builders. Um, you know, I've seen seen a fair bit in my 20 years and, and I've tried to, you know, do the best I could to put it in. It starts off a little bit black and white and, and I guess um, uh, not so much textbooky, but trying to explain the, the real, you know, minutiae of the finance and then it finishes off with a bit more anecdotal stories and things that I've seen happen go wrong and things that I've seen happen go well. Um, talking about the different movements in the market cycle of, you know, um, some developers actually love it when things are going a bit quiet. You know, you think about earlier this year, every man and his dog's a developer buying a corner block and whacking two houses up. It becomes really hard to buy a site and make it work. So actually having that little bit of heat come out of the market, for some people, they prefer that because they can buy sites well and some people have a view that buying sites is the be-all and end-all of making projects work. Overpay for a site, you can't go backwards from, you can't, you know, you can't undo that. So, um, you know, sharing a few of those, I guess, um, not so much wives' tales, but, you know, uh, industry norms of how things are approached uh, and di different ways that people look at at different projects. I've got some developers that I work with who um, uh, build purely for a, a hold strategy. So they're just looking at what is the income after debt servicing versus the amount of equity I've got to put in to turn this thing on. If I'm putting in a million bucks, I want at least 100 grand free cash flow per annum uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, and some people look at that and the way that they have their strategy set is that they, as opposed to selling and turning over uh, stock each, each year, paying GST, paying um, income tax on 2 million, paying sales fees, paying this, that you actually reset it, rent it out and you know, hold it for more than five years and and keep the GST. There's a there's a free kick of profit, right? Um, and so, different people have different strategies. Um, some people buy sites. Some uh, another strategy uh, with the developer that I um, have worked with. He always has four or five mil cash sitting there, and he comes in and makes cheeky offers at people and says, "I'll I'll buy this cash seven day settlement." They might be chasing six million bucks. He says, "I'm four and a half cash settlement." They go, what do you mean? That's so cheap. That's so rude. Do you like cash? <laughs> I've got cash. I'll buy it right now. He might end up buying that for one or two million bucks cheaper than, than market. And then he gets it ready. And by the time it's ready for construction, it's revalued at, you know, $7 million uh, as a shovel-ready project because that's what it's worth when it's a shovel-ready project. But as a site that isn't yet kind of turned on and ready to turn on, he's he's buying them, uh, they're buying them well. Um, another strategy is to buy things and sit on them for a year or two and take your time with planning. You know, settle it like it's a home loan and keep the tenant in there and rent it out. Work it up over a good, you know, year and a half, two and a half year period until you're ready to actually kick off construction and get it going. I've seen some guys that have got, uh, or developers, uh, that have got, you know, five or six of those things just sitting there and they'll just turn them on when they're ready because the amount of capital it takes to settle that site versus buying one with the A that's uh, at, you know, full market value. They're buying them under market value, taking them off, putting them on balance sheet and just leaving them brew over time. Um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it and it's, it's uh, you know, enjoyable for me in my position that I get to work with a, a heap of different developers and they all do things differently and, um, yeah, it's I, I love what I do because of exactly that reason. So try to put a bunch of that into the book and, um, yeah, hopefully people enjoy it. Well, they will enjoy it if they get their hands on a copy. And you have been kind enough to offer up five copies of your book to uh, people who participate in uh, um, promoting this episode on Instagram. So 
for five lucky people who tag the Property Developer Podcast and Dan Holden on Instagram with this episode will um, go in the running to get their hands on a copy of Constructive Finance. Yep. So, yeah, if you tag us in it, we'll pick five of the people. Uh, we'll probably hit you back on a, on a DM to get your address and we'll mail you out a copy straight away. Yes. Well, Even signed thought- copy. There you go. Signed, <gasps> signed by me with a personal note. Oh, even I didn't get a copy, a signed copy, Dan. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, I know you just said that uh, people think that uh, it's all about the buying, but um, I've got a feeling that you think it's all about the finance with a success of a project. Well, I think finance is the glue that makes the project happen. And if you understand finance well, you can use that to leverage yourself in and out of projects in an efficient manner. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm biased, but I do think finance can really make or break a developer's growth. Uh, and if if used correctly, it can really escalate their growth. Um, and I've seen that, and I think I actually share a couple of stories of that. Um, one developer I've worked with uh, for 15 years now, since 2007, from their first project, they're now doing over a 1,000 product a year. Uh, and we still fund them. They're still a good mate and a good client of mine. So um, I've seen firsthand how using finance can uh, es- escalate that growth. Awesome. Well, any final comments, Dan, before we wrap things up? No, I think uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to 2023. I think calm is good. I think sideways is ju- is actually uh, a good place. It's better than backwards. Uh, and I think there's still plenty of opportunity out there for people who are smart to get out there and build good product in good locations. And I think it's actually a, a good market. Yeah, and there's a lot to look forward to. I mean, we're going to have population growth kicking off in the next 12 months, so there's going to be more people coming back in. Hopefully, supply chains have stabilised, So, and we're a growing country. Australia's going to keep growing, so there's always going to be opportunities in the development game. It's just where you find them or how you seek them out. Yep, absolutely. Good luck developing. All right. Well, if anyone's interested, they can go to your website to find out more, which is holdencapital.com.au. There's lots of really great resources on there as well about finance. Uh, So, yeah, thanks for sharing the website. So holdencapital.com.au is our uh, main website and the finance brokerage uh, arm. hcp.fund is our lending uh, side where we're actually the lender ourselves. Uh, And if you want to copy the book, constructivefinance.com.au. Uh, is the purpose-built one for their book and log on there. Uh, I think it's 80 bucks and we'll send you a copy. Fantastic. Dan, always great to talk to you. I'm going to make sure it's not 18 months uh, until we speak again, but really great to have you on the show. I know people love hearing from you. So thanks for being on the Property Developer Podcast yet again. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.